Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of my man, Marcus Chan. Now, get this, before he was the founder and CEO of Venley Consulting, where he helps B2B salespeople become the top 1% in their industry, Marcus was actually born in Oregon to two Chinese immigrant parents. Now, he had a real transformation. He went from putting himself through college to later starting his first sales job as the worst sales rep in the coming. Those aren't my words, by the way. He can talk to you about that. That's not my words. And even thinking about quitting during the financial recession to then transforming into being promoted 10 times in 10 years with two Fortune 500 firms, leading teams which sold over $700 million in the last decade. And get this, that's not it. He went on to then passing that success onto others as he promoted 30 of his own employees and team members to leadership roles in his time during corporate. But more importantly, he's a father to his son, Roman. He's a husband. And honestly, I'd say with Marcus, he's one of the most intentional and giving dues that I've had the pleasure of kicking it with on LinkedIn. And today, I pinned him down, people. I got him down. And I said, listen, man, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you about one thing specifically because I think you're going to add so much value here to the audience. And it's all about how to speak with influence and communicate effectively with C-suite decision makers. Dude, that was a long intro, but welcome. Wow. You, you give me a huge head here. I am uh, I'm honored, thrilled to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. It's good, man. Honestly, I, I mean every single word when I say, especially about the concept of being intentional. When I read your posts, you know, there's very few posts which I'll look through. And I'm sure you're the same. When you see videos and a lot of content during the platform, during your time on the platform, there's very few posts where I'll be like, hmm, let me have a look through this. There's even fewer which you go, ah, let's have a look at some of the tactics behind this copy and really look at some of the nuances. And dude, you are honestly one of those dudes who I love, love looking at for that. So man, it's a, it's a pleasure, bro. So let's take it back for a second, all right? Let's take it I back, let's take it, it back. Not too much. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. it, man. So let's take it back to not the entire origin story, but you've spoken a lot about what yourself and your two sisters learned when growing up with two immigrant parents over who moved to the US. Now, I want to know, what's one thing that they taught you, which you didn't realize it at the time, but it ended up giving you an edge when selling in corporate before your time in consulting? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's so many different things I could say, yeah, you know, working hard and all these things. But one of the greatest things I, I learned, especially from my dad, is we can't control how someone else responds to us, but we can control how we respond to them. And I'll give you a really good example. So I remember early on, we were, we were really poor. And one of the ways we made money, we go to we set up a, a food booth at festivals and we would sell Chinese food. And over time, my parents built this reputation in our state of doing really good business. You know, and when we started, it was hard. We started building over time. And you're, you're going to love this. Eventually, we actually got accepted into a festival called the Scandinavian Festival. 
Yes, we're a Chinese food booth now in a Scandinavian festival, and we're the only ones making Chinese food. <laughs> and what's interesting was our first year, banner year, we broke every single record they had. We broke all the revenue records. They're like, holy smokes. And we had a lot of haters as a result. And one hey, of them hey. was actually, yeah, oh yeah, it was another food booth owner, this other Asian family who had to completely change their menu and create Scandinavian food for the festival. So here they were, they were seeing us come in as these other Asians, these Chinese people coming in, selling Asian food and breaking all the records. So they were pissed. So they were trying to get us us kicked out of the whole festival. So my dad, this whole time, I'm like, he's like just keeping us cool the whole time. And, And actually what he would actually do was he would do whatever he could to help out this other person. So I remember one of the one, like probably third year in like this this competitor of ours, if you will, they had like their stove broke, which is bad because obviously they're cooking food right before the dinner rush hour. So my dad stops what he do, goes over there, spends two hours fixing the stove for the guy, and really? it was amazing because right after you could see this, you could see his transformation. This guy, which now he's like he's just like so thankful. He's like, wow, actually, <laughs> you know. He called my dad Chan. Chan and his family, his son, are actually good people. They actually truly care. They actually want to help. And it was such a good reminder, again, right there, where we can't control how they how they are. But if you want to become influential, you can do. You may not always get the short-term gain, but the long-term gain can be so much greater as a result. So after that, they became like really good friends. They supported each other. And that was really yeah. cool. But that's one really great lesson I've learned, even in corporate America, because it's the same thing with prospects, with your boss, with your peers. If you treat other people with respect and you treat them as if they're going to be your boss one day, because they might, you'll go way further, have way more influence than the majority of people out there. Is there a time where you specifically remember that penny dropping? Oh, we say penny dropping. How would you say that? You wouldn't even say that cent dropping, would you? I don't know. But yeah, that penny dropping. I'm like, what, what, does that, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. But penny dropping is like, what's his name? Not Einstein. Some scientists do with Apple fell on his head. Ah, Isaac Newton. It's like that aha moment. That's it. Isaac, so yeah. was yeah. there a moment yeah. where you were sitting in a room and you were specifically speaking to these C-suite decision makers where you had this aha moment. You're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Remember what my dad taught me? Or was it just simply ingrained? It was innate. It was something that you went forward with the entire time. Yeah. So um, I'll give you, it's kind of a funny, situ- funny story and situation, but I learned a lot from it. And I did not close this deal. Okay. I did not close this deal. Um, yeah. But it really, it taught me how to maintain control under pressure. And I remember there's this business. I don't want to say the name of the business because we never got them and it does not show the owner in good light, <laughs> the C-suite owner. Okay. But yeah, I yeah, had yeah. worked my tail off to try to break in this opportunity. So I was cold calling, cold emailing. Uh, we Because it's a physical territory, I would walk in and pop in uh, as much as I could. It was one of those businesses where I knew they did, they did a lot of revenue. They would do audio equipment rentals for major events. So they actually usually operated like late evenings, to, you know, at night. So most of the time during the day, they they were closed in their main office. Actually, it was a huge warehouse, and the owner was in the back usually if he's under the day. But it'd be all locked up, completely secure. So I remember one day in the area, and I saw actually the doors were open. It was, it was basically the doors were actually unlocked. They were opened up. Mm. I'm like, oh wow! And it's a huge bay door. I'm like, this is my chance. I remember walking in, and uh, I was like, I was pumped. I was fired up. 21 years old. Right, like just super excited. I'm like, this is a huge whale of account for me. So I walk in, talk to like some person, some warehouse manager. I'm like, oh hey, so and so here, yeah, because I, I had done my homework. I knew who it was. He's like, 
Sure. And, and I'm in like this, you know, full suit. These are people that usually work events. So they're in t-shirt and jeans. So I walk in this like dark, dusty, like warehouse deep inside. Like we go for like five minutes, just go inside. And I walk into this room. I walk into this room and it's like pretty much dark. It's almost like a movie. You walked in and it was completely pitch black. So I like a desk in the back with like a desk lamp and like a laptop light. I could see a guy sitting there like just like a scowl on his face. I'm like, all right, like I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, like, I'm gonna go in there. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna like just <laughs> wow him. And I was still learning self awareness, etc. And I just kind of go to my <laughs> spiel for like two minutes. And as I start to go into it, he starts shaking his head and he starts getting like look, looking like he like, like turning right, looking angry and angry. And he's and and he's like, "You effing salespeople!" And I kind of <laughs> wow, <laughs> I got nervous because I thought maybe he was joking. Because sometimes people are just that's how they are. And he's I, he starts getting angrier and angrier. I'm like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And he's like, no, I'm effing serious. You effing serious. You guys never learn. You call, you email, you try. You just never effing learn. I'm like, whoa. He starts standing up. I'm like, oh. I'm like, I'm a little dude. He's a big dude. I'm like, oh, man. We're about to get into altercation here. And I remember like at this point, like, you know, when people go fight or flight, I'm a fight guy. I hate that. I'm a fight guy, right? Like, like yeah, this, yeah. Oh, this guy's trying to strike. Throw down. I'm like, oh, my God. All right, I guess I guess we're going right. And, yeah, yeah. But I literally, I remember at the moment, I'm like, I'm like, that's not the right thing to do. If I ever wanted to earn this guy's business, like, would get into a brawl, actually do anything. It was almost like if I could like put a timeout and reflect. Literally at that moment, I was like, okay, if I'm him, how, how can I defuse the situation? How can I defuse this guy as fast as possible to get him to know, like, and trust me and be open to conversation? You know, I was thinking back to my dad, my, how my dad would treat people like this guy, and. I guess apologize, kind of, you know, make him feel like he's in power, if you will. So I'm like, oh, hey, man, you know, hey, so-and-so, I came in a bad time. I'm really, really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. It wasn't my fault. Now, this guy continued to get angrier and angrier. He actually reaches into his desk and pulls a gun out and puts what? it on the table. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut like, you up. Guys never learn. I'm like, at that point, I st- but here's the thing. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, hightailed out there. I'm like, maintain control maintain Bro. control and i was and so literally i was just like obviously i came at a terrible time i'll i'll just see myself out don't worry don't you don't have to get up i will leave right now do not worry and he starts yeah, advancing yeah. towards me right i'm like all right with the gun, like, I'm, I'm, with, I'm the gun. with the gun in his hand oh, now snap. he wasn't pointing it at me or anything like that mm. and i don't know if it was a real gun or a prop gun i was too mm. scared out of my mind to to verify the validity <laughs> of what he just did so I'm mm. walked out and uh, I was like, Whew. and I was like, oh my, what just happened? What just happened? Yeah. Right? Now, I wish I could say it was amazing. A, a year, a year went by and I came back and I closed that guy. It was amazing. That did not happen. I was very scared for the rest of my time there. But <laughs> my point is that the story is it's in most, most people in that type of situation would probably would freak out, react, or just do whatever, right? And being able to take lessons mm. from, say, my dad in terms of like, hey, whatever the situation throws me. However odd it is, can I maintain control and composure and still treat mm. that guy, treat whoever I'm speaking to with respect? Because in some situations, yes, maybe it'll go my favor down the road and sometimes it won't. But we again, we can't control how other people react, but we can control how we show up. And when, you, when you're yeah. selling the C-suite executives, that's mm. so key. Because a lot of times they want to feel that they are speaking to someone of the same equal status, not below them, Right. So in his mind, when that guy was like, he, I'm sure if I had reacted to him and did whatever, he probably would have got even more angry. 
but I made constraint control and just slowly backed away, honored him and walked away. So that's probably how I, the easy tie to what I've done in the past. Why don't you just, let's just name him, name the company and we'll edit it out. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. Because then I wouldn't edit it yeah, out. Yeah, I'm like, so I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> oh, so what's funny is, so, so <laughs> I end up closing a competitor of theirs later on. And, and it's, it's a small industry. And I'm like, hey, yeah, man, yeah. do you know so-and-so? I didn't say what you did. Like, do you have to know? He's like, oh, that guy is a, you know what? Like, he is the yeah, worst. Yeah, yeah. Like, nobody likes him. He's like the king of the, the, of the industry. Everyone hates him. I'm like, makes sense. I can see why. <laughs> Small world, man. Small, small world. I did not expect you to say he pulled out a gun on you. What a story, dude. Crazy dude. But I tell you this, let's get tactical now, man. Let's get tactical. And let's go deeper into, you kind of touched upon it. You know, you gave some really good tips there, but I want to go into some of it with a bit more intention. Now, let's start, let's take it back. Let's take it way back to a scenario, whether you're an entrepreneur or a B2B salesperson, and your job is, in this specific moment, to try and get a hold of a C-suite decision maker. Let's say it's the CFO. So they're dialing the phone, ring, 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 boom. They get through. Mm-hmm. They get through to this individual on the fifth ring. Now, what I'm curious to know is, what is the biggest communication mistake that entrepreneurs and B2B salespeople make in this exact scenario? So I'll say the number one that I see happen all the time, they act like they don't belong, if that makes mm. sense. So what I mean by that is, so when they, when they answer, they're like, hey, is this, uh, is this Ravi? You know, this is, uh, this is Marcus Chan. Like, they sound weak. And the truth is, when you're calling someone who is in the C-suite, they want to feel com- like whoever, the- like they're choosing to answer the phone. They need to know it's worth their time. And the way you show them it's worth your time is a few different ways. Number one, like what you say is important for sure. But more importantly, how do you say it? And I see that from a, t- a tonality perspective, if you're coming in like super soft, hey, is it, maybe it's, I can maybe possibly have a conversation, maybe possibly help you. They hear it. They can feel it. So it really starts with, you know, before you even get to that, when you start making that call, you have to first mentally believe and know your solution, your offer, whether you are a B2B salesperson or entrepreneur, can truly help and serve the other person. Like you have to have 100% conviction because then when you're actually on the phone with them, you have the same conviction as well. And there's a massive difference in how you say it versus if you say, hey, it's Marcus with Venley versus, hey, it's Marcus with Venley. Same words, different impact. Mm. And a lot of times when you're talking to that CFO at C-suite, they need to know within three to five seconds, this conversation is actually worth their time. And if you don't sound confident in what you say, they're not going to be confident they're going to want to continue the conversation. And I equate it to very much, it's as if you went to the doctor. If you went to the doctor and they diagnosed you and they're looking at different options for maybe a procedure. If they said to you this way, hey, hey, Ravi, I think there's a surgery that uh, I think might help you versus this surgery will solve your issue. Clearly, one doctor is way more confident than the other. And you're going to listen to the person who actually has the most confidence. And ultimately, those who have the most conviction in their tonality and how they say things is the one who can actually achieve their end objective. So on the phone, when you're making that call, be mentally prepared and have that conviction so key. 
Now, tonality is key. The downward reflecting tone is key because this, this helps you establish that you truly belong there. When you don't seem like you belong there or on the phone or don't deserve to have a conversation with them, that's when the conversation really ends. They say, nope, we're not interested. They really cut you off and the conversation ends. So you have to walk in the first mentality and then be very, very aware of how your tonality sounds as you're coming through. Mm, that's dope. Okay, I've got two questions on the back of that. Well, one, but more specifically, could you give the listeners an example of speaking in a way which is uncertain and lacks conviction? Example one. And then example two, and I know you did it at the beginning. I just want to give them another a reminder of what it really sounds like. And then one where you've got the downward inflection and you're speaking with authority. Can you give that before and after a snapshot transformation? 100%. So let's go with the, um, let's call it the, uh, the weaker and wrong way to do it. <laughs> so let's just say maybe they're going to that opener. Maybe they go, they'll go past permission based opener. They kind of, they want to go into more of a, a specific problem based situation. So they say, Hey, so, you know, when I talk to, uh, CFOs like you, they sometimes have this issue of inaccurate data collection and that sometimes can waste their time. Is that something you run into? Okay, that's a, mm-hmm. that's example one. It's a very, very simple example. Now, when you hear that as CFO, like you're not even listening to the words. You're like, I'm going to stop talking. Versus option two, right? So it sounds like, you know, hey, Ravi, when I speak to other CFOs just like you who are also in SaaS as well, the number one issue they run into is inaccurate data, which leads to them not having the data to make the best decisions faster. How are you currently dealing with that right now? Mm, Boom. God, now, that was good, I, I changed some of the words because like I forgot what I said the first time. Even the tonality, the attitude, like, like, you know, guy number one sounds like it's a first thing minute cold call. Guy number two sounds mm. like he's done a thousand times. And the truth is, is when you think about when you're speaking with authority and conviction and influence, Mm. those people sound like they've said it thousands of times because they probably have. And it's no different than sports. In sports, that's why the great athletes make it look so easy because they've done it thousands of times. When the rookie, when they get thrown the ball, they're like, oh, what do I do? Because they've never done it before. So and the thing is, is the, tr- the truth is speaking with influence and conviction is actually very controllable. Those are all controllable things. It takes more preparation, but the separation is in the preparation. That's what it breaks down to. Beautiful, man. And what's interesting, for those of you who are listening to this right now, when Marcus was doing the voice with authority, you could see his chin was tilted slightly lower. And when he was speaking in the one with a weaker frame, which lacked conviction, his his mouth was pointed slightly upwards. And it was very, very interesting. If you think about it, you can try it right now, you know, read out a specific line with those specific postures with the the chin facing slightly upwards and the chin facing slightly downwards. You can hear a different level of, I don't know what, what the right word to say is, but you hear a different type of tone. You also hear a very, very different type of individual sharp on that call. One sound seasoned, the other one sound like an inexperienced intern. So I love that dude. That's super dope. Now you said something <laughs> earlier, which was, uh, you said something earlier, which was you use the words possibly and maybe when you were speaking in the weaker frame, which lacked conviction. And those words sounded as though uh, of somebody who lacked certainty. So if somebody is using words like maybe, possibly, kind of, or even any filler words which breed a lack of certainty, 
What words can somebody use to replace those ones with? Great question. The first piece is, I don't think about replacing. I think number one, it's about understanding you're doing it. Once mm. you are aware you are using filler words as possible, maybe because here's the truth. Every single word has impact. And if you understand that, then you also know if you are to inc- incorporate maybe or possibly, that can actually help you influence as well when used properly. So let me give you an example here. So I'm kind of switch your question a little bit. So for example, if I'm speaking to someone who is very dominant in the conversation, and I can tell that they're really resistant to even give me more information as part of my discovery, I may need to boost their ego and put them in a higher level. I can basically go down and get them to tell me more or her to tell me more. I may use words like that to make them more trust me more. So for example, let's just say if they're like really resistant to answer my question about something, then I might have to incorporate some of you know, what's, what's known as weaker language in to kind of tr- make them trust me more. It might sound simple like, well, listen, I mean, Clearly, this is a little bit of a sensitive topic, but one of the challenges I run, I, I speak, when I think the CTO that they run into is they sometimes run into this. Is it possible you run into this as well? Now, I'll use some of those words now to help soften them up a little bit to tell me a little bit more, but I'll use it mm. in the right way. So that way, it gets them to trust me more and li- like me more. So it really depends on how you utilize it. But ideally, just like if you, when in doubt, remove it. Remove weak language as much as possible. But it starts with being really aware. So if you are almost about to say it, instead, just pause. <laughs> You're better off pausing emphatically mm-hmm. instead. So that way, it'll drive home certain points as well, because in addition to obviously saying those words, the tonality, the inflection, and also removing or replacing someone's words, pauses could drive home certain points as well, just like I just did. Dude, something really interesting that you mentioned at the beginning there about not necessarily replacing them. So I was coaching this sales rep at Oracle last year. And one of the things he said to me was, he was like, man, Rav, I really want to get rid of my filler words. And I said, why? And he said, ah, I just hate them. Everyone keeps telling me I've got filler words. The way I like to think about it personally for me, and I'd love to hear your take on this, is if you ask me what I'm doing next weekend, and I was like, ah, oh yeah, dude, my wife and I, we're doing, we're going to the cinema. We're going to watch a new Spider-Man. That sounds authentic. I'm actually thinking about what I'm going to right. say next, but it's not It's not breeding a lack of certainty because I don't sound uncertain. But if I was like, um, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know, like you, you're lot, you're done, right? Oh, yeah. Because that is breeding a lack of certainty. So it's really interesting about what you said earlier as well. It's not just about what you say. It's about how you say it. Yes. I 100% agree. And especially if you're doing, say, whether it's a physical call or, or a, a Zoom call where they could see you, that's so key too. Because when they see you say, yeah, you know, this weekend, I'm, I think we're going to go see, oh yeah, Spider-Man. It's going to be awesome. Boom. Now they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like We're just like a normal people having a conversation. So a lot of it has to do with really how, how are you showing up? How are you using those words and saying those words? Because filler words are part of being human. In fact, if you don't have filler words, you might actually sound less human and less authentic, more scripted. And that's where I find some mistakes some people make, especially let's say it's a discovery call with sales reps. They have a list of great, of great questions, but because they just read a verbatim, it sounds like a script. They sound like a robot. And there is power in being able to include some filler words, but also being able to do, deliver in a way that drives home impact. 
because sometimes if you need to gain a little more trust, like maybe you need to open up a little more, you can't see them on the, on the defensive, you may need to soften them up and humanize the conversation more to get them to know, like, and trust you more to actually have a conversation. Because when they can have a conversation with you, then the truth comes out. When you have truth, now you can have progress in the deal. Mm-hmm. That, dude, that's a quote. You need to tattoo that. I like that. When you have truth, <laughs> that's when you can progress on the deal. And he, ladies, just, here's something really cool that Marcus has shown you. He's doing a wax on, wax off. He's Miyagiing you, I think. But uh, for those of you that for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go check out the Karate Kid. All right, you and I can't be friends if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Marcus is used through showing you these different ways to ultimately communicate with C-suite decision makers. He's shown you pitch. You know, do you sound like the intern or do you sound like the CEO? He's shown you how to effectively use a pause. He spoke about tone. You know, do you sound happy, sad, contained excitement? Even the intonation in his voice when he was asking specific questions, emphasis. He's using all these different tools. Now, why I say that is in using all of these different tools, you mentioned something interesting about gaining the trust from the individual and the ability to be ability rather to be liked and known by them so is there a specific way in which somebody can speak to be more likable in the eyes of their prospect well i think the first piece is is being really aware of how you speak and understand that how you say it can really have a different impact especially if you are asking if you're doing a true proper discovery some of the questions you ask are going to be painful for them to answer. That means you're actually doing a good job. But if you do it improperly, now you're a jerk. Like you're just, you become a jerk. So, for example, let's just say you are, um, you know, you're coaching them on how to sell internally to their to the the CEO. You have zero access to the C- the CEO. They want you to talk to them, and it's like it's through the CFO. Like okay, like we're, this is the highest level we can possibly get to. So now you have a conversation with the CFO, making sure that they're bought in and they're saying, yeah, don't worry, I'm going to sell them on this, this, and this, and this, and this. And that sounds all great. But you also want to know, what are they going to do if the CEO says no, it puts a kibosh on everything? So if you just ask them like, cool, man, that sounds cool. If you like this, you want this, but what do they say? No. Now you're like challenging this person that their ability to do that. So instead, if you adjust a little bit, so they might be like, Awesome, Ruby. I love that. So clearly, it's really bought in. You love A, B, and C. You can see us how it'll help you achieve X, Y, and Z. So, and I know you'll do a great job in speaking with the CEO, get them 100% on board. But I hate to ask this. What if they say no? What are you going to do? And if you notice there, the shifting of, of what I'm doing here, I'm making sure they f- they are in a trust-based environment now where they're going to be open to telling me. Because what I need them to tell me is, if they say no, I'm going to do this. Or, or, or they can tell me, if they say no, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And now we have truth. And now I can continue to coach them up and arm them with the tools and resources to actually help me win this deal together. So that's really, really vital. But this is where... It's being really aware of how you say and the impact it's going to have. And it's no different when you think about, you know, if you are married talking to your spouse, whether it's a you know, husband you know, or, or wife, how you say certain things also really impacts it too. It's like if you say, I, I love you, babe, versus <laughs> babe, I, I love you so much. That's it's totally different. Right? It's, a, it's a different feel, right? Like, they're going to feel <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. you know? They're going to feel the words <laughs> behind it, you know? So that's, and that's no different when you're talking to, uh, a, you know, a C-suite or anyone you're selling to because you have to understand for them, 
How are they interpreting what you're saying? The word you're saying, the inflection, how you say the tonality, everything. And then how can you adjust it? So key. And it's it's doing it in a way where you also are very authentic as well, because I've seen some people overcorrect. And some of them will see that with salespeople who are like almost like syrupy sweet, if you will. And you feel yeah, like they're yeah, almost yeah. they're almost like, oh yeah, this is gonna be so great. It's like, you know, like okay. Like you feel like they're just like pandering you at that point. You're like, yeah, okay, now you're yeah, just pandering. Yeah. So you have mm. you do have to understand, like, number one, who are you talking to and how can you adjust how you're talking to make sure you fit them as well and how they're going to interpret it. Now, you're never going to know 100%, but you do your best. But then on top of that, just similar to how you know, you're observing my body language and how I'm adjusting and tweaking, you have to do the same thing too. You want to read them and see how, how are they responding to what you're saying. Because you can tell based off their body language and their facial expressions on what you're saying, if they like it or don't like it. You can tell if you rub them the wrong way very quickly. And at that point... It's really key to make a shift at that point because you might overstep. That happens, but then you want to correct it if that's the case. Mm, dude, you mentioned something so funny about the way somebody sounds, and sometimes they can use a phone voice. And this reminds me of it must have been around. I mean, don't quote me. It must have been around 2015-ish, around September 2015. I remember. I was on this presenting course and there was these TV producers there and they say, okay, Ravi in three, two, one action. I'm like, yeah. So, uh, what we're going to do here is we're going to, they go cut. Um, (coughs) what was that? What was that? And I'm like, um, (laughs) uh, I'm a presenter, man. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm presenting. And they're like, no, don't do that. And I was like, all right, what what do you want me to do? And he, he pulled me over and he was like, listen, 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 you need to speak to the lens as if it were your best friend. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, when you're speaking to your best friend, you smile, you start using more conversational language and you just end up sounding more human versus using your customer service or phone voice. And I was like, yes. And that has stuck with me ever since. And Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating because when we are on the phone, it is really interesting because we do all have that phone voice. True. Oh, yeah, it's true. I mean, it's one of those things where the cool part is, is you were made aware of that. And I, I think about it because I think in our mind, we especially, you know, we don't realize, but we picture what we should be like on the phones, on the Zoom call, you know, whatever. And we do our best to emulate it. Right. And I remember mm-hmm. when I started sales, I didn't really I didn't really know like how obvious and fake it was. I, if only I could record a calls back then. But I'm yeah. sure like, they're probably awful because I was probably so like trying to be so show many. And here's the thing. Yeah. So I actually grew up with a speech impediment and more introverted. So Did I literally you? was, I was yeah. trying to like, yeah, I was trying, I was going from like, you know, zero to like Jim Carrey, if you will, like, you know, like Ace Ventura trying like that hard early on. And people are like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm like, this is how salespeople act, right? They're supposed to be like this. They're like, no, get out of here, <laughs> you know, but. There is truth, though, where you do need to show up still. You still do need to show up. But can you show up authentically and just be the best version of you versus as someone totally different? Mm, all righty then. Yeah, dude, I'd love to hear one of those uh, <laughs> Ace Ventura calls from you back in the day because I can't imagine it. But you know what's interesting? There's there's a T 
team, there's a company called Heroic Public Speaking. They say, look, the goal is to engage in authentic behavior in an engineered scenario. And things like sales calls, interviews, like first dates, you know, all these things, then they are engineered scenarios. They're, they're awkward, but the key is to engage in authentic behavior. And it, it leads me to my next question for you, because I don't think we've touched upon it that much before we dig into, okay, what happens after that first call when you're on the demo? But when it comes to pace, now, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I mean, I think we've all done it. We've all been there and done that, those of us who have had to do cold calls. But often nerves promote speed because your mind is moving just as fast. So your mouth is trying to keep up. What is one tip that you can give SDRs and younger salespeople who are just starting out and they're trying to not let the, their nerves get the better of them and they're trying to control their pace when speaking to C-suite decision makers? Mm, great question. And as someone who just talks really fast, that's something I've always had to work on. So early on, one of the ways I personally found this really helped me, and it sounds o- almost like overly simplistic and almost kind of silly, but you should be recording all your calls and listening to your calls. Like being aware of you, yourself doing it is like the first thing. But if you're not aware, it's really hard. Because you could say, oh, let me let me try to write out every single word, which is not realistic because it's conversation, not just a script. But what you should do when you record the calls or listen to record the calls later, you become very aware. You become very aware. And if you're not aware, have someone listen to it with you because then you'll start seeing where can you really improve. And a lot of times, once you're aware of it, I find using the nerves come in is when you're unfamiliar with how to say it or unfamiliar with the pathways of saying it. Meaning your brain hasn't mapped it from A to Z enough time to how you say you, whether it's your, your opener or whatever it's going to be. So naturally, you got to move kind of quick. That happens to all of us. So the way to combat that is very simple. Practice. It's literally that simple. Like It's just taking the time to actually practice it. Because when you know the words inside and out, it's way easier to slow down. It's way easier to control what you're actually saying. It's way easier to inflect certain things. It's way easier to make shifts on the spot based on what that prospect is saying. So that starts with just making sure fundamentally you have done the separation, the preparation, if you will. You've done the preparation to separate yourself. You've done it so many times not just on the call, but outside of that to warm up, right? So also on top of that, I would say is before you get on the phones, calls, you should be warming up. You should be warming up multiple times. Get the cobwebs off, even if you know inside and out. But like, I'll give you an example. So I remember before I got on the calls on a Monday morning or any any of my calls, I would spend at least 15 minutes, whether it was on my drive to work or if it was at home, just going through my scripting. And it wasn't about being a robot. I was actually more focused on how I was going to say it. Because once I had the words down, it was like, how can I say it? How can I drive more impact? And that was really vital. So those two simple things. Number one, be really aware. And then number two, practice to a point where you don't think as much. And that also means daily warmth as well. So your vocals are ready to go once you start dialing on the phone. Mm. 
Mariah Carey would be proud of that last tip, bro. And I tell you what, it's funny. <laughs> it, it's funny because a lot of people say, "Oh man, I don't like scripts. I don't like scripts." And yeah. I don't. I can sense what side of the fence you sit on. But my perspective on that yeah. is, man, the best movies in the world are scripted. It's it's about not letting oh, yeah. the script own you, and it's about you owning the script. Agree or disagree? A hundred percent agree. So the way I picture a script, a script is like a skeleton. But you are the muscle. You can't be all skeleton, but you can't be all muscle. So you really need both together. And when you have both together, it's really, really beautiful. This is why the most talented actor, actresses in the world who live off scripts are able to make it their own. So, for example, my wife and I, were just we just watched the uh, Aziz Ansari Netflix, Netflix comedy on Netflix recently. Hilarious. You and like him? What we were you a fan? No, I... Yeah, I'm a huge fan. We think he's hilarious. Oh, yeah. But what what I love about comedians, we know it's all scripted, but how they deliver it. Like if I said those same words, definitely not as funny, (laughs) but how they deliver it because they have a script and because they know it's inside and out, they're able to adapt on the spot on the fly if they need be. So that makes it even funnier because of that. If they know the audience is going to act a certain way, like, all right, they could adjust it a little bit on the fly. The core is still the same. The skeleton still the same but because they have the muscle and the skeleton. They're able to have structure to the comedy. And when you have a good script in place, you also have a structure in, in play to help you be more effective on the phones, on the sales call, etc. But it does not mean you read it verbatim. It simply means you have a recipe to follow to increase your chances of success. Oh, man, preach. Like, seriously. And I went to the comedy store. Uh, last night, uh, Saturday, <laughs> Saturday, I went to a comedy store over here in London and they had four relatively unknown, but professional comedians and the level of uh, just de- the delivery in their scripts right. was insane. And it is incredible to study because you just think it is exactly that. It's not just about what you say. It's about how you say it. Now we're coming up. Very closely to the end of the show, which means I want to get into the question, which I think actually I'd love to hear your take on, but I think it's where a lot of people often trip up. So somebody has earned the opportunity to land a demo. They're through the demo. They've talked about, you know, they, they understand what's important to their prospect. They've talked about the the features, the transformation and the customer success stories that are going to benefit them. And the client goes, the prospect goes rather. So how much is it? How do you communicate the price? your high ticket price mm. without imposter syndrome or fear. First off, here's, here's, here's what's very key about price. Do you believe in the price yourself? Mm. That's so important. So like, if you do not believe in the price yourself, and, the, and I'm, I'm talking about, let's just say you're a sales professional selling to a, a, you know, a business owner, a CC, whatever. If you were in their shoes, would you honestly say without a shout out, you would whip out your credit card and pay that price? Because if you're not able to say with the right conviction and tonality, it will not matter. All right. Will not matter. All right. Now, my go-to actually, depending on assuming I have all the details in play, I could actually pause them and say, definitely. So let's make sure I'm on the same page. Pricing aside, you know, based on everything you've seen so far, what have you liked the most? 
I actually like to reframe them quickly first because I want them to, I need to understand where do they stand. And I need, I need to feel conviction there because I also understand from a sales psychology perspective, if they do not believe the, the values there, the price actually becomes irrelevant, right? Price is actually irrelevant if they do not believe in the solution. Because they're like, oh yeah, I think it's pretty good. Then you're like, all right, that's, if it, once you drop the price, if it's a high ticket price, there's no way they can move forward because their conviction in the solution will only go down after price. But if you know on a scale, say one to 10, that they are a 10 that they're ready to go aside from price, now the price drop is so much easier. All right. So I think it's really, really vital. So once you uncover that, then it's very simple to say, cool, it's $80,000. That's it. Stop talking. There's confidence, there's conviction. There's no justification back. You've already done the hard work up front. You simply need to say the price like you've said it thousands of times. Because if you can't do that, they will sense it. If you're like, it's $80,000, they'll smell it on you. And they'll say, okay, all right. Let me get back to you. So what you sent to me an email, and I'll get back to you a little later on. <laughs> and you're like, crap, I lost it. Uh, so this is why dude. it's so key. Because you know, otherwise you you'll have to backtrack and go into objection handling, et cetera, which which you can still definitely do regardless. But that's why it's so key. I'm a firm believer. Like, so here's a little secret. One of the ways I used to have my teams absolutely crush our number is I took all our pricing guides and I increased it 20%. Mm-hmm. Right. And we deliver that price by twenty percent, right? And with confidence, conviction, because at, because we can do it consistently, you'll sell larger deals without any extra work. A little secret there, but that's that's how you would do it. But you have to be able to deliver it that price point with conviction. I, I cannot stress enough the belief you have in the solution you're delivering. You must believe whatever price point you say. You are shocked if they say no. Like it should be like a no brainer. Like it should feel like you're about to like it's like it's like you have a twenty million dollar check and you want to give it to them, and they should be happy. To, they should be like, yes, absolutely, it's no brainer. But if you sound like you're wavering, they will sniff it out. And you know what's funny as well, man. The difference between when you're selling as an entrepreneur, your own product versus yeah. the distance you can have mentally when you're selling on behalf of a company where you are a sales rep, I find that Mm. distance is so different because often as an entrepreneur, you can get emotionally attached to it and then everything becomes so much more heightened. I mean, dude, that's another podcast episode in itself, but I love (laughs) what you said there, man. I absolutely loved it. And what I'm taking away from this and for all of you as well, listening to this right now is Yes, it's not just about what you say and how you say it, but it's also the mindset that you have before you hop onto these calls. Because if you don't believe in yourself and your solution and the ability for it to deliver 10x value, like Marcus is saying, then you have little chance of actually getting the price you want because realistically, no one's going to believe in you, man, if you don't believe in what you're selling. So I absolutely love it, dude. Gold. I want to do round two with you, actually, specifically on this concept of communication around price. I want to do round two on that. So we're going to make that happen. But before I let you go, dude, when it comes to influential communicators, who is one person that you look to and learn from? I look at someone like 
Steve Jobs, right? Like Steve Jobs. I mean, obviously, bless his heart, he's no longer around. Founder of Apple, if you did not know. But I think about someone like him. His ability to communicate and deliver a vision to build a unicorn of a company is insane. And when you see it, he's not this big, gregarious, loud guy. He's not. He's just, but he speaks with such conviction and belief. And he has, I can't remember what they call one of his books, but he has a uh, reality distortion field. He's, he's, he has a reality distortion field. Like when he says it, there's so much conviction and belief. So his communication is so strong. And what I love about that is when you can, when you think about someone like that, when you are able to speak that same level, not in an unethical line way, but as a, a true powerful communicator, then you can really have influence. Like to be able to look someone in the eye or eyes and deliver the 100% conviction, whatever you say is true, and because they believe it, then you are transferring your belief from yourself to them. And that's the ultimate level of influence. And we saw that with Steve Jobs, with anything he created. Right. Hey, we're going to create this like this this thing is going to be a, a phone that's going to become the biggest thing in the world, and it's going to change how we do everything. No one believes it till he made it. iPads, everything else, same thing. iTunes, the iPod, right? It's all the same thing. So that's one example of someone I I, I look at him like wow, to be able to communicate with such conviction and belief. It can transform the world, and it has. I love that. I mean, I was hoping you'd say somebody we could bring on the show. Unfortunately, that that <laughs> definitely won't be. That definitely won't be. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that'd be a difficult. Uh, that'd be a difficult one. But I, I tell you what, let's leave the audience with this, man. What is one exercise that somebody could do with themselves or with their team to increase the way or oh, I suppose to increase their influence and their effectiveness when communicating during the sales process? One of the simplest, easiest ways is if you're not recording your calls, record them and make it habit to listen to them. You might be pleasantly horrified as you listen to them, but I promise you it is one of the fastest ways to increase your own skills and your awareness. So to give you an example, this, you're going to laugh at this, right? But Back in the day, man, when I was back in the world, like when I was eleven or twelve, I used to want to be a street magician, like David Blaine when David was popular. This. And I would, did I know this? Yeah, I, I think, think I, I told. Did. I might yeah. told you this. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But in order to improve, because I was so introverted, but I needed to know with when I told a story, could I hook an audience and get them bought into me? So I would record my dad's JVC camcorder and then rewatch it over and over to improve my own game from the storytelling the patter, the delivery, while being able to do whatever moves I had to do in my leisure domain to really wow the audience. So if you want to get better at your sales process, if you're not recording, start recording, and more importantly, listen to them. Listen to them and make notes on one or two tweaks that you can implement the next call that you can get a better result immediately. See, ladies and gents, it's funny because I think all of you are probably hoping for a more complex answer. But as you've heard from this entire call, it doesn't <laughs> need to be complex. It's about doing the little things right now. Forgive the pun, but we're going to do a Houdini and get the hell out of here because we got to go. <laughs> Marcus, Marcus Chan, appreciate you, brother. Ladies and gents, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next week. Peace. Oh, 
okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. Thank you.